From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. When the news broke in May that the punchline might close, it was no surprise to see Nato Green leading the effort to save it. The lifetime San Francisco resident is a stand-up comic with a background as a union organizer. Along with San Francisco Supervisor Aaron Peskin's office, Green was a persistent voice fighting to preserve the historic club. So many good things die in the city, but the punchline was saved. It has a new lease and will be watching comedy there for years to come. NATO sat down with me on Wednesday, September 18th, the day of his A New Lease on Laughs show at the Punchline, gathering local comics to celebrate the win. Look for Sam Whiting's story on that in the Chronicle. We talked about the Punchline fight and NATO's beginnings as a comedian in San Francisco. We also put our own disagreements to rest. NATO in 2015 wrote a San Francisco Examiner column titled, Peter Hartlob is a Chump. Uh, For years, that was like the third thing that anybody would see when they did a Google search of my name. Our podcast recording was only a little awkward. We had a very civil discussion about coverage of comedy at the Chronicle, and I think we're cool now. Sorry I blocked you on Twitter, Nato. The next show on Nato's calendar is Riffer's Delight at the Alamo Drafthouse, 9.30 p.m. on Monday, September 30th. Swamp Thing is the movie, and his latest comedy album is the Whiteness album on the Blonde Medicine label. All things NATO Green are available at natogreen.com. I'm glad the punchline's still around. It was fun sitting down with NATO, and I'm glad that our feud is over. Datebook Podcast, thanks for listening. NATO Green, welcome to the Datebook Podcast. Uh, welcome back to the Chronicle, I understand. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, you've been here before. I've been in this building, I think, th- uh, three times? Yeah. Two, two times? I, the last time I was here was my first year in comedy. When Do you remember 96 Hours? Of course you oh, do. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, they, did a, they did a cover photo shoot for my show, Iron Comic. Nice. And so they, they took us in, in the photo thing near the Chronicle Test Kitchen, and so we plundered a bunch of ki- kitchen implements for the uh, Iron Comic photo shoot. Yeah, so we, was, we had the. Were you in the other building? It was like yeah. a, around a corner, maybe. Yeah, that's where the food section was, yeah. and then we had our studio there. We no longer have that building, but uh, who were you with? What was what was your group? Oh, so the comic, the other comics that were with me were Brent Weinbach, uh-huh. uh, uh, Jacob Siroff. And uh, Nico Santos, who is now on Superstore on NBC. Awesome, so, awesome. And your other time here? So I back was a little further. Back, back further. I think I think this would have been 1992, when I was a high school student at Lick Wilmerding. We were brought down here to watch the. They like they did a puff article watching the presidential debates, <laughs> um, uh, and. Uh, like had students watch it, watch it here, and then did an article. So they there's like a picture of me and three or four of the students like gazing intently, you know, into the monitor as we're watching whatever the you know Bill Clinton. Yeah, well, talk about hope. We're we're recording in the archive here, and any photos you tell me about, I want you to know when I promote this podcast, I'm going to come down and find these photos okay. and put them out in the world. Okay, uh, so the, there's one other one. At one point, 
uh, Laurel Rosen <laughs> Rosenhall did an article about uh, ballot parties. Okay. And we like had a ballot party in my living room and went through the ballot. So there's a picture of that too. That's somewhere. awesome. You yeah. have a lot of chronicle history. You know, so how was your San Francisco native who's at large in the city? Yeah. Were you ever a chronicle paper boy? Never. Never. Yeah. I, I like looked into it and then I was like, I'm not going to get up that early. Who are we kidding? Yeah. You know, I was a paper boy from 82 to 84 and Chronicle's a union shop, and we've had in our in my 20 years here times when they're going to do some rounds of layoffs or buyouts or whatever, and I'm always worried about where I am on the seniority. And I always just tell people, like, I started in 82, and then I was just on a long leave and mm-hmm. then came back. But I was a Chronicle Paperboy 82 to 84. And it, was that just like the famous documentary Newsies? Yes, very much. I had the cap and uh, a lot of singing. Yeah, a lot of singing. I definitely don't wear a bicycle helmet. Um, well, well, we'll talk about uh, a little bit more about comedy, political comedy. Uh, we have a feud to. We have a beef, right? That that we'll uh, we'll hash out a little bit. Look, it's it's a one sided beef, but that's fine. Yeah, it's cool. I it's good to talk about it i think it's been a long time coming we have the common ground of the fact that the punchline is back and you were a big part of that so i'm feeling good about nato green i think this is a good time to squash the beef so we'll do that at the end i'm I'm with it yeah um if you could tell me a little bit about your own punchline history and kind of what it means to you um so i uh i started hanging around comedy clubs in san francisco when i was in junior high yeah. Uh, in the in the eighties, um, and my, the first time that I, I can't remember the first time I went in the club. The first time I really like intensely remember being there, where I can place the date, was going to see Will Durst at the Punchline immediately after nine eleven. Um, <laughs> wow. And uh, and it was like you know I mean it was it was it was in that moment where everyone was anguished and like trying to figure out how to laugh and wanted to see Durst like talk do political comedy and can I swear Uh, yeah you can swear we'll put a little expletive uh, marker on it and he he showed up the front page of the examiner Uh do you remember the front page of the examiner after 9-11 bastards bastards Yeah, yeah and so he went through the the uh you know the the editorial meeting of like cocksucking motherfuckers you know <laughs> sons of bitches like trying to trying to get the margin squared yeah and uh it was it was it was what we needed in that moment so yeah. um and then you know w- when you when you start comedy in san francisco like you start going around to open mics and then you find out like where where are the spots like you know this is where you go on tuesdays for this open mic and and whatever and pretty early on my friend, who has become a successful comedian, Chris Garcia, mm-hmm. who has done a Comedy Central half hour and is now writing for the show Nick Iglesias mm-hmm. on Netflix, uh, we were talking. He said, "Well, of course, I go to the Punchline on Sundays." And I was like, "What is happening?" And the the with the for the local comedy scene, the Sunday showcase at the Punchline is the thing. It's like you can't talk about San Francisco comedy without talking about the Sunday showcase at the Punchline, and. Do you know about it? Oh you know, yeah, the yeah. system. Sure, uh, it's a you show up for a while and then you get your time, and if you do it right, you might end up uh, opening for someone else. I'm, I'm you you tell it. But. So yeah, I mean you you go on Sundays and wait, and so uh, and wait for your turn, and so 
Like, if you go on a Sunday at the Punchline, there'll be sometimes 50 or 60 comics in the back or milling around outside who are just showing up to pay their respects, do their time, and wait their turn. And so it's really like where people come, people, you know, go out to eat afterwards, they talk about the comedy. Um, you, you know, after a year, you get up, uh, and then you sort of work your way into the rotation, then you have an audition to become a host and start getting paid work as a host, and then you sort of work your way up. Um, and so... Uh, and so when I started, I talked to the to the booker, and was that Molly Schenk? Molly Schenk, yeah. yeah. And um, and you know, and we had a conversation. And I started comedy a little bit older than a lot of people, and so people saw me. It was after the Sunday showcase. Talked to her, and then she walked away. And other people were like, "You can't just talk to Molly." <laughs> uh, so, but I was like, "What? Tell me about it." Uh, and she said, "We." we want you to be a comedy fan and we want you to know what works on the stage. And she didn't say this, but what I came to understand is that they also were filtering out dilettantes that, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of people who come in with a lot of swagger and don't really have any work ethic about being a comic. And so, uh, I was like, all right, got it. It's a, uh, this is fair. Uh, it's, I mean, the, 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 the rules are clear. Uh, mm-hmm. Unlike a lot of cl- there are a lot of clubs in the country where the process of getting in is so mysterious and opaque and there's so much intrigue and maneuvering that just having clear a clear system was really great. And so I, I put in my time. I started getting up. The, possibly the the hardest time in my entire career in comedy is the period of time between when I first got up at the punchline and when I started getting paid work. Because mm-hmm. then every week it's like. Like, you haven't quite broken through, but it's like, why did that guy get up before? When is my turn? Why can't I? Like, that part. And now, you know, many years after that, I look back and it's like, that's all of show business. Like, Mm -hmm. everything in show business is like that, but with much higher stakes. And so, ultimately coming to realize that, like, the punchline is a good training ground for the, what the habits and work ethic and discipline of a career in comedy is going to be in the long run um and so i just started i did what everybody else did and i started hanging out on sundays and going out to eat afterwards and uh enjoying the clubhouse and you know built my life there and that's and you tell me is that unique to the bay area um in that you know there's Cobbs, there's tommy t's there's other big clubs but punchline is different yeah, I mean that there's you know there are um, the other clubs pe- like people will, lo- local comics will go and watch like you'll see people you know local comics who want to see whoever that headliner is that week at Rooster Teeth Feathers will go and watch that person, but there's not any other institution in town where there's a night that is like really the 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 gathering place for the entire community. Yeah. I mean comics you know I mean for me it's easy because I live in the city. But there are comics who come in from Sacramento every week to hang out at the Punchline on Sundays, uh, because that's that's what you do if you want to be a comic. Yeah, uh, take me back to May. Had you been hearing that? I, I first read it in Broke Ass Stewart. Me too. And uh, uh, I, was... I hadn't heard anything, and I talked to comics, and you know, uh, we were all shocked. So the story, it, 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 the timing worked out well. So the story broke on the Tuesday in mm-hmm. May on on Broke Ass Stewart. And the story was that... The story was that the club was closing. Interestingly, for San Francisco in in 2019, 
it wasn't that their rent was raised and they couldn't afford it or they were losing money. It was that the landlord simply decided to terminate the lease. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, and immediately, nationally, the entire comedy community was like devastated that there were so many comics whose you know people felt consistently will say that the punchline is one of the top five best comedy clubs in the country. Yeah. Um, and that it's, you know, and co- so many comics were upset, concerned about what was going to happen to the club. Is there anything we could do to save it? People started to, you know, do what people do nowadays of like, let's start a hashtag, save the punchline. Fortunately, I was booked that weekend at the club. I, I was there Thursday through Saturday, five shows um, as the feature act for my friend Baron Vaughn from the Comedy Central series, The New Negroes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to the, I was at the club that weekend and on Thursday I talked to the staff and I said, what do you want? Like, do you want, like is the, is the plan to, is the desire to stay? Or do you, does Live Nation want to move you to another location? What do you want? Yeah, because the early word from them was, Punchline's not going to die. We're going to find a new space, but, but they were talking about a new space. They weren't talking about putting up a fight. And to just a lot of people listening to this might not know that much about the punchline, but it's a very unique space. It's not easily replicable. It's kind of the perfect size, the low ceiling. You can see the bar in the back. It's got all the history on the walls. Yeah, it's, I mean, that that with it, arguably putting a comedy club on the mezzanine of an office building in the financial district is not like, prime nightlife entertainment location but the club just has this incredible you know juju like that that what makes a room special is lives in the walls and you can't just like build a new room and put a new awning in front of another place and be like this is the thing now um and you know if nothing else like going to a new space would have meant laying off all the staff who are also a community that we're all connected to. It would have meant stopping all the bookings. Like, who knows how long yeah. that would have taken, let alone the location. Like, you know, that there was some, you know, possibility kicked around. Some people were floating the idea that they move. The current seating of the punchline is 180, 182. And, you know, they have a big room. They have cobs. But having an, a, an intimate room like that is is hard and they couldn't just people were like yo you should move it to beach beach blanket babylon they didn't they didn't need a theater having a nightclub space require would have required renovating something else so some people thought that they should have moved into the old yoshi space in the fillmore um Mm -hmm. which has some appealing things about it like it's a nice room but it's not near bart yeah and so um so you guys want to save it right so so the what you know as soon as they they said our preference would be to stay in this location. Uh, I said, okay, I, let, I can help. Um, and I, besides being a comedian, have also I've spent 20 years as a union organizer and uh-huh. have been involved in San Francisco politics. And one of Supervisor Peskin's legislative aides, Sonny Angulo, is a comedy fan and is friends of comedians. And uh, I called her and said, we have to do something. And she said, I agree, we have to do something. And so on Friday night, I called Aaron Peskin. It's his district. And he came down to the club and watched the late show and hung out. And I was talking about it on stage. I was going up and saying, you know, we might lose this club. And I said, you know, we might lose this club. And he called out from the back, don't give up yet, NATO. Uh, <laughs> and one of the uh, wait staff started crying. And oh. they were like, oh, we can, we might do this. Yeah. So, um, 
they set up a meeting with Live Nation, and that, that Monday morning, they met, Live Nation met with Punchline, met with the Entertainment Commission. They started their process of applying for legacy business status. But the thing, you know, Aaron Peskin has this uh, unhealthy uh, knowledge of the planning code and introduced interim zoning controls to that would have prevented the space from being used for anything other than live entertainment open to the public. Uh-huh. Uh, so that was really the thing that sort of tipped the scale was um, this this that kind of emergency zoning controls. Yeah, and that was the technical part of it, but um, there was some very, you know, you mentioned the social media was pretty overwhelming. I remember that day, but then Dave Chappelle on the city hall steps. Right. I mean, that- so that we, you know, Peskin figures out that. We, so w- what we had heard through the grapevine was that that they that the property owners wanted to use the space as like a private membership club. Uh, and so, pe- and we learned that they couldn't build up, like they mm-hmm. couldn't add floors to the building uh, because of other things in the planning code. So Peskin's legislation was intended to draw them back to the negotiating table. And then we did this press conference with W. Kamau Bell, who's on the wall here, yeah. and Dave Chappelle, and hundreds of comedians, and the st- whole staff of the club, and Tom Amiano, but really because famous people were there, Dave and Kamau, uh, like the entire board of supervisors came and the city administrator came and the, all the entertainment commissioners came like everybody wanted to meet the famous people and so that helped both like then everybody wanted to be a co you know before the press conference was over we had 11 co-sponsors on the zoning controls to save the club uh, and we got tons of press and the Google and Morgan Stanley who were involved in the real estate deal quickly realized that this was not a fight that they needed to have. Yeah. Uh, that this was an easy way for them to look like heroes by helping to give the club a long-term lease. And then those negotiations began shortly after that point. Yeah, and then um, it was in July. Because uh, I remember I had tickets to Proops because I thought that was going to be my last time at the punchline. And then a few days before that, uh, the news comes out that... Uh, uh, and, and tell me what the news is. I was always a little bit confused, but they have a... They, ha- they have a long-term lease. I believe it, my, my belief is that it's a 10-year lease. I don't know, you know, I don't know the details of the terms, but, um, uh, I, like, I was, there was a point where, um, you know, they started negotiating. Uh, Ali Wong came to town to promote um, her movie, Always Be My Maybe, and then went on a radio show and cried talking about the punchline. And we distributed that video. Aaron Peskin read from her statements in that video. Mm-hmm. When when the legislation passed, uh, the Board of Supervisors, we brought comedians out to do public comment at the Board of Supervisors Land Use Committee um, uh, in support of the, the zoning controls. And um, it's like I didn't need to be involved with knowing whether like what the relationship was between Morgan Stanley and Google and Live Nation, but they worked it out among themselves. And... Um, I was ready to do more things, and I like I said to Molly, "It's like I have I have more bullets loaded if you, if these negotiations go bad," and she was like, "Please, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> We're close. Don't, don't, don't blow it up right now." So you've got a show coming up, a new lease on laughs, <laughs> a new lease on laughs. The um, we we wanted to do a victory show to celebrate saving the club, and wanted to bring back uh, a bunch of Bay Area comics who came up in our scene who have gone on to greater things. Uh, or not greater things who go who have who are some of my favorites like when they announced the club was closing a lot of people rushed back to do one last set mm-hmm. and then there were a bunch of other people that i wanted to invite so we have 
Emily Heller, who's a producer on Barry, um, who has done a Comedy Central half hour and she's done Conan, but she's mostly a full-time comedy writer now and doesn't do stand-up. But I convinced her to come out of retirement for just for tonight, and because uh, she's a fantastic stand-up. Um, Shang Wang, who is, did a Comedy Central half hour as well and is a writer on Fresh Off the Boat. Guy Branham, who very uh, funny, I've incredible, has a book it. and a podcast yeah. and is a TV writer and a stand-up and a host. Um, Amy Miller, who's now on the road opening for Tom Segura, um, Oakland's own. Uh, Corinda Dobbins, who opened for Trevor Noah and Kamau and a bunch of other people, and uh, and me and a special guest. I will I will tell you, uh, the special guest is Natasha Muse, my oh. who I do a lot of shows with, who's fantastic. And uh, and we just want everyone to come and celebrate the show, celebrate our scene, really, and like yeah. what what a special comedy community we have. Yeah, and I, I hope people like all of this attention that the punchline received. It was stressful, but I'm hoping the good that comes out of it is that some people who were thinking about going there have gone there and probably are going to go back because that's pretty much what you're going to do when you go to the punchline. I mean, it's a just fantastic space. Yeah, that we, you know we. That we need people to go to go to the club. We need people to pay, like not Gold Star free tickets. Pay for comedy. That's yeah. <laughs> pay for live comedy. That's what we need people to do. So we we got a little bit of your origin story, uh, yeah. but uh, I wanted to to ask you just a, a little bit about um, growing up in San Francisco and uh, uh, where'd you grow up? Um, what kind of sparked you to get into comedy and uh, you went to Cuba for a while. I wasn't sure if you were going to come back, but uh, what's kept you here? I wasn't sure if I was going to come back either. Yeah. I'm still not. Um, uh, so, grew up in San Francisco. I'm a I'm like a a, a Bernal Noe Mission kid. Um, my parents were teachers, uh, and my dad worked in public schools. My mom worked mostly in private schools, including she taught my mom taught at Nueva. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. And for uh, she had a couple of stints of many years, um, but she also taught at Brandeis. Yeah. Um, when I was in junior high, my grandfather, who was in Chicago, started every week he would collect political cartoons mm-hmm. and mail them to me, and then we would talk about them on the phone. Yeah. And so um, that was how I learned to read the news. Was like I like I have no experience of reading the news separate from thinking about making fun of the news. Um, it So, and we did that every week with, with my grandpa. And then, you know, I was a kid in San Francisco during the comedy boom when there were five full-time comedy clubs and Comedy Day in the Park drew 50,000 people and Alex Bennett was on Live 105 and KQED had Comedy Tonight on television. Um, and so, and I would like go to Comedy Day. Comedy Day just happened this past week. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I'd go to Comedy Day every year with a piece of paper and write down the names of the people that I liked. And then I'd go see them at Cobb's and the Punchline in the other yeah. cafe um, and follow them and see them every time they came to town. And um, was a fan. I went to college at Reed College in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And one of my close friends was the son of the assistant manager of the Comedy Underground in Seattle. And so we were like, comedy nerds before that was a thing to be um and so i i but the first time i ever got on stage doing stand-up was in college at the comedy underground and i was horrible like the first time i did stand-up was the closest i ever got to literally shitting my pants <laughs> um and just could not deal with like the nature of comedy is that you have to be bad for a while before you yeah. figure out how to be good 
what did not have the confidence to do that. And so set it aside and then returned to stand up at 30. Um, like I was between organizing jobs and, you know, had been doing stuff like, like, you know, I was at the age where you're going to a lot of weddings and realized that I was like really obsessing over the jokes and my wedding toasts. Yeah. Um, and like even give, going to union conferences to give talks about uh, minimum wage enforcement and was writing jokes about minimum wage enforcement. And I was like, I something is bothering me. I have to get this bug out of my system. And so I did what everybody else does and went to the open mic at the Brainwash. Uh, Tony the, Sparks. Uh, with Tony yeah. Sparks. <laughs> and I was horrible. I can't but, tell you how many people I've interviewed over the years who – that's their origin story too. It's either the luggage was it the luggage, the luggage center? store? The yeah, luggage, luggage store. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Went to the brainwash and uh, went up, did awfully, and then as I was leaving, Tony said, "You're gonna come back next week," and I was like, uh, "Yeah, I guess so." Yeah. And then I came back and just kept doing it. And not long after I started, you know, I so I started the same. It was the same summer, summer 2005. It was me. And Ali Wong and Chris Garcia, uh, we all started together. There's a bunch of other people in our class, as they say in comedy terms. And it was clear right away that Ali was going to be the first person we knew who was famous. Uh, the thing that sort of focused things for me on political comedy was Hurricane Katrina. Like, I was writing d- dick jokes like everybody else, and then the hurricane hit, and I was so upset by what was happening in the news. And I wrote jokes about that, and that was the first time I got laughs. I, I, I want to ask you about that, because I, I listen to your last album the whiteness album on uh, blonde medicine shout out uh, dominic ddb yeah that guy's awesome i did a feature on him a couple of years a year or two ago um you do both you you do humor that you know your wife and kids have made it in there political comedy seems hard to me i've talked to will durst about this i mean you know you're not gonna it's gonna be harder for you to get a comedy central special if you're riffing off stuff that happened last week what's kept you in political comedy what's kept me in political comedy is being a political person like that comedy is so hard and uh you know um you know i spent years with on the road with w kamau bell and i wrote on his on his first tv show and we're good friends and you know what we used to talk about is like comedy so hard and it's like it's just not you like i can't be bothered you know i have kids like it's not worth leaving my house if I'm not going to talk about something that I genuinely care about, yeah, like I have to, I have to feel like I have skin in the game for me to want to talk about it. And so that that could be things that happened last week, or it could be, um, or it could be things you know in my life. But like I talk about politics because I'm a political person, and that's what I know about, and that's what I care about. Mm. And like if if all I had to do was write jokes about American Idol or whatever's on television, like. I would stop doing comedy because that seems boring to me. Does it give you opportunities too? Are there things you can do as a political comedian that that you know certain doors open? I mean, well, yes and no. Like certainly, show business. Nobody in show business, you know, like like in the world when people talk about comedy, people like the idea of the comic as social critic. Yeah. People don't like the idea of the unfamous comedian as social critic. Yeah, like nobody in show business is like, you know, what we need is a younger, happier Lewis Black. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the uh, but I certainly felt like like you know when when Trump like with with comics, uh, Trump forced everyone to be a political comic. Yeah, and with with comics like 
you know, people talk about how you sort of have to address what what everyone is dealing with. Like if the audience is standing in the rain waiting to get in the club, you need to say something about the rain just to let people like acknowledge that so they can move on and hear anything else. That's how Trump has been for comedy. And I was, you know, his, the inauguration and the first women's march happened during Sketchfest. And so I was on all these shows at Sketchfest and it was so interesting for me to be like, oh, this is, I've been built for this. Like everyone else who were not political comics were trying to do the most perfunctory political jokes possible weren't particular were clearly not that attached to their point of view and and so i felt like oh you know i it was i was ready for it um so and and so that's why like people talk about you know the political correctness is and you can't make fun of stuff i don't have any experience of that Mm -hmm. um so i feel like a lot there are a lot of things that have been easier for me you know like uh uh, as as the political moment has has ripened, yeah, yeah good. I mean, I can't. I don't. You know, there's a lot of places I can't perform without getting shouted at. But th- I don't think those people are my audience anyway. Yeah, there you go. Um, all right, well, time for healing, Nao. Yes. Uh, Peter Hartlob is a chump. That was the name of the article. I did. I did write that. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, you did. Let's get get the background. You can. This is t- around 2015, uh-huh. and uh, you had a show coming up. Just tell me the background behind it. Yeah, so um, uh, I, I mean, first of all, I enjoy, as, a, as I enjoy a, like a one-sided feud uh-huh. um, with someone who it, like is not aware of or interested in the feud. That's I mean the same way that San Francisco has a one-sided one-sided feud with Los Angeles. Yeah, um, Giants Dodgers. Yeah, so, a little bit of A's and Giants. Yeah. If you say so, I'm not a yeah. sports person, but uh, so I um, I have I do have a sensitivity about like this thing that happens where periodically the Chronicle, but other some other, sometimes this will happen with other news outlets where they'll do some like retrospective about the glory days of San Francisco comedy and Robin Williams and the Holy City Zoo in the '80s and all that stuff. And all that stuff is great and is a huge inspiration for me. But I also it's the same way that I as a young as a radical feel about pe- old people who are like. We marched in the '60s, and it's all about the '60s. I feel like we have, we're doing stuff now, you know. So I like uh, I think uh, you know there have been a series, a few things in a row where like the Conan had taped some shows in San Francisco, and um, and the Chronicle had done some story. Somebody it wasn't you, but somebody else had done had covered Conan's tapings in San Francisco, and said you know and we're and Dana Carvey had been on and Robin was on. And the, whoever was writing the article said, you know, well, the next generation of great San Francisco comics, please stand up. And I was like, where have you been? Like, yeah. people are out here. So uh, it's it. I really appreciate when journalists, when I feel like journalists care about comedy and pay attention to comedy. Um, it You know, for comics, it happens all the time where, like, you'll get someone who doesn't really pay attention to comedy who gets assigned to write a comedy story. Um and then there's just like weird stuff in in the story that makes people feel bad. Like, you know, you might think that all comedians are horrible people, but actually, Nato Green is quite nice. And I was like, hey, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, really, the um, I, you know, I I want I want the the Chronicle to be part of celebrating how great 
San Francisco comedy has always been and continues to be and our continued contributions to the national comedy scene. And I don't disagree with you. Um, I think there's, I, I dig around in these archives and I see the trends and, you know, when Gerald Nachman was writing, I don't dis, I don't agree with everything that he wrote and I don't necessarily agree with his approach, RIP Gerald Nachman, but he was covering comedy in the moment. And then there have been periods, particularly, you know, I'd say five, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, where a lot of it has to do with staffing. Some of it has to do with who's in charge, where we're not covering comedy in the moment like we should be. And something like Ali Wong or Al Madrigal come up and I look in the archive and realize like we didn't catch that and we probably should have. Um, my excuse on that article was I was doing a year long project week by week by week covering 52 weeks in San Francisco history. So it was a section, Sunday section where I only did history. And I did City Hall, and I did construction, and I did video games, and then that was the week where I did comedy. So by definition, this was a history series. Oh, right, right. And so I got that. I'm like, what? I? And then the second part of that is that I, throughout my career, like I want to cover the local stuff. I don't want to cover the celebrity coming through town. I never want to do a phone interview with someone super famous. I'd much rather cover my community. So when that came out, I was like, well, that's not me. I mean, you know, that's, there's elements in this that I agree with. And I see how we need to cover all arts in the moment. And I I see it, you know, where we fail and where we've succeeded. Um, But I was looking at that and it would be, I, I think it would be like if someone said to you, you know, uh, this probably goes too far, but that you're, you're not for workers' rights. I mean, I read that and I'm like, well, I'm for covering the local stuff. I've always done that to my detriment, you know? So when I read that, I was, and you were like, you were like, why am I the poster child for this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I just wanted to say that to you. Like, like, I don't walk around thinking we should totally live in the past. Um, obviously, we're surrounded by the archive here. I write about the archive, but I've written a lot about comedy since that project ended. And I wrote about comedy in the now before it, too. I mean, that was a year I took off just to write about history. And then, honestly, like, I was pissed, but I also probably came out of it and was like, probably did a few more local comedy stories. And to your credit, you complimented me on a couple of them, you know. So you, 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 you did a lovely piece on my friend Kasim. Yeah, uh, and, he, he was easy to do a lovely piece on. And, 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 and Dominic, the impresario. Yeah, but anyway, um, I'm kind of glad we can get face-to-face because, you know, at the time I was like, I just, I didn't feel like it was me. Right. And, and, uh, and I didn't feel like you were wrong. Um, I actually... You, you, you were taking the heat for things that were... Uh, beyond that for you you were being held accountable for a uh like i mean in some ways what you're saying is the the, it's like the project was a historical project and i was mad that it was like why aren't you doing a different project that's not the project that you're doing yeah and taking it away from me too the chronicle where i work you know we're not sitting around saying let's all cover the old comics let's not cover arts in the now you know, their allocation of resources, there's decisions that are made. I think recently we've done a, as I I dig around in the archive, the job that we're doing in the last few years covering local comedy and local comics, I think has been 
solid and it could be better. And I know the people who work here want it to be better. And we talk about those resources and we put a value on local comedy and exactly what you're saying, um, finding those people now and helping them, uh, helping them isn't the word. Cause I don't think it's our job to, you know, lift comics up into stardom, but it is our job to cover the community. So I'm glad we can talk about it. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. I mean, there is a way of like, I mean, I think that the, you know, Kamau used was for, would say he often tweets Bay Area comedy remains undefeated. Yeah. Because a a lot of times when Bay Area comics succeed, whether it's Nico Santos on Superstore or Hassan Minaj or Ali Wong or going back further, Patton Oswalt or Moshe Kasher, people don't see that as like there's another Bay Area guy. In the same way, like people do that about the Chicago comics. Uh, you know, like your your Kyle Kinane and your Pete Holmes and Kumail sure. Nanjiani. That's sort of part of the story of those people. Uh, but for our folks, we all we all know that story. And you know, and there was like there was a time one of your colleagues here, uh, and this is not in, you know a criticism of anybody, but yeah. one of your colleagues here, Rachel Swan, when she was at the East Bay Express, she loved. She was like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm I want I want people there. Here are some people that I want people thought my readers to know about yeah uh and like she was going to comedy shows and she, you know i mean i feel like rachel is part of you know rachel and then high swanheiser when she was at the sf weekly are part of get credit for anybody knowing who i am uh is that those people decided to be like we need to tell people about this guy and uh i will be happy to stand in solidarity <laughs> with your union and if you ever want me to you lock my head to audrey cooper's desk to get more reporters <laughs> and better staffing uh, for you all, so that you can uh, be more rigorous and thorough about covering the local art scene. Yeah, and and I think, you know, I, I don't want to get too deep into this, but I've been here twenty years. I've never been happier about what the Chronicle's doing and where we're going. And there was a period where I didn't know where it was going. I didn't think I was going to have a career, and I was really worried about the community. I thought the paper wouldn't be around, and now we don't even call it a paper. It's a media organization you know, we've been hiring people, we haven't been firing. Um, I think the Chronicle's in a good place to cover comedy and hold truth to power. And I, you know, I, like I said, I dig around in here, I see where the trends are going. And I think the Chronicle's in a good place for comedians and everyone to be happy about what we're doing. But, um, right. Yeah. So anyway, is the beef, is it quashed? Be- beef is squashed. The feud is over. Truth and Reconciliation <laughs> Commission. Later. We're good. All right. Well, let's um, mention again, September 18th is your Punchline show. And then do you have you have other stuff going up? You do stuff at the Draft House. I do. I do. I, so if you like Mystery Science Theater 3000, I have a monthly movie riffing show at the Alamo Draft House called Riffer's Delight. Okay. Uh, Natasha Muse and I do it where we uh, make fun of movies. We were doing the show for a few years. It's it has the show has a following. Like we're often sold out, and um, uh, we got Alamo does these all the different versions of that type of format all over the country, and we got a bunch of cease and desist letters. Uh, the the movie distributors didn't want their movies shown in that format, which I wow. found I found baffling because I was like, yeah. it's not like any movie theater is selling tickets to screen Varsity Blues, you know? Yeah. Uh, but they didn't like it, and so. It, we are like we are limited to certain sort of more niche distributors uh, in terms of what catalog of film we can do. Yeah. But last month we did Donnie Darko had a great time. 
this coming month, September 30th, we're doing, it's always the last Monday, we're doing a Swamp Thing. Nice. And then in October, in uh, celebration of the new Terminator movie, we're doing Terminator 2. Cool. That sounds great. Terminator 2, you're allowed to do that. T2, yeah. T2, they don't have a problem with that. That's a great movie. Well, thank you very much for coming in, and uh, thank you for the punchline. That's just great news, and uh, San Francisco uh, hopefully appreciates it, because that's a great club, and I'm glad it's going to keep going on for years to come. Thank you for your part in that. Thank you for supporting live comedy. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Nato Green. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producers are King Kaufman and Libby Coleman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Music is Midnight Special by Ease Jammy Jams. Read our columns and subscribe to the Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S. Thank you.